Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Wednesday night Bible class. We post a Bible study each Wednesday evening. It's posted at 6.30 each Wednesday evening, the same time we come together for our midweek Bible classes at the Sunny Slope Church of Christ. But this is a different study. And we know that there are people who cannot be with us who want to be in the Bible. They may have handicaps or health problems or work schedule conflicts or whatever it might be. And then there are people across the country and around the world who obviously, because they live in other areas, cannot be with us on Wednesday evenings at 6.30. But they want to be in the Bible. They want to study God's Word. They want to know what God's Word says. And so we're thankful to have this opportunity, the means and the ability, to be able to podcast these Bible studies for everybody who has access to the Internet all around the world. We encourage you to share these studies with everybody you can in your life through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. Because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. We keep emphasizing that. So help people grow in their faith and maybe even help people get to heaven as their faith grows and they come closer to God by getting them into God's Word through sharing these podcast Bible studies every time you have the opportunity. And tell people to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com, and click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. And when somebody does that, they will automatically receive to their smartphone or computer or whatever smart device they choose, this Wednesday night Bible class, a Sunday morning Bible class, all of our sermons, and a daily Monday through Friday radio program that's called Search the Scriptures, and what I really consider to be a gem, a short Bible study every single day, seven days a week, that we call today's Bible class. It's only about 13 or 14 minutes generally, but it keeps us in God's Word, and again, that helps us stay strong and grow stronger in our faith. So tell everybody you can, churchofchrist.com. Sign up for our podcasting. We're going to get back into our study from the gospel account according to John, John the Apostle. And as we have said and repeatedly said so, uh, this is a different this is a different focus on the ministry of, of Jesus than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which are very parallel, and uh, they're called synoptic gospels. They're very parallel in the material that they cover. But John, he, he kind of stands alone in his particular focus and his gospel account. Now, all of them, and there are there are situations that John covers in John that Matthew, Mark, and Luke also cover, but Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they kind of flow together in a kind of a, uh, just a continual focus moving down the line, so to speak. And John really focuses from a different perspective, focuses upon Jesus's work, focuses upon love, focuses upon his demonstrating through the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he performs, that he is the Christ. Now, again, John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all go together. And when you put the four gospel accounts together, then we get a broader view, a fuller view of the ministry of Jesus and his coming to this earth. Again, you go back to Matthew, you look at a genealogy of the bloodline of Jesus from a physical perspective. You look at Luke, you see the same thing. 
You see Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they will kind of progressively uh, flow through the ministry of Jesus. Now, you don't read anything in any of the gospel accounts, anything much about the growing up years of Jesus. You have just a few brief statements, and that's it. And I mean a very few. But the real focus upon upon Jesus coming as our Savior is that he came born of the Virgin Mary, okay, just in fulfillment, exact fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies going back to Isaiah 7 and verse 14. And, and he came and he fulfilled all of those Old Testament prophecies in exact detail. John does not go back to the birth of Jesus except to make the point in the first few verses of chapter one that he was in the beginning with God and that he was God and is God, God the Son. And he was there at the creation. He, cre- he, he took part in the creation and everything that was made was made through him. So we see that going back before his birth into this earth. And, and so John kind of gives the fuller from one perspective at least, the fuller picture of who Jesus is going back, not just to his physical birth on this earth, but going back all the way to his, his being infinite in his being, being God, divine, there at the beginning, going all the way back and before the beginning in Genesis chapter 1, the creation account. Well, so we have been studying through the first seven and a half chapters. We're going to pick up with verse 31 of chapter 8. And in this particular chapter, we begin with looking at the account that Jesus has or the, you know, the, the coming together, the discussion and so on with the, uh, with the lady who has taken in adultery. And so the, the, some of the Jewish leaders apparently, and again, I posed in the first several verses, chapter 8, beginning with verse 1, and going all the way down through verse 12, I posed, you know, I wonder how they took her in the very act of adultery, because they brought her before Jesus, and they were going to challenge him and test him. And because they, first, they did not believe in Jesus to begin with as God's son and the Savior, the Messiah. And so they bring her to him, and she say, they say, here, she was taken in the very act of adultery. Now, again, I wonder how they knew when to, what did they do, break into her home? Uh, but anyway, they, they bring her, and they tell Jesus, and of course, Jesus knew what the law of Moses was, but they challenge him, and they say that the law tells us that, that such a one is to, be, is to be executed, to be stoned to death. And we remember that Jesus simply stooped down on the ground and he was writing something on the, on the ground. And they challenged him again. They pressed the issue. He stood up and he said, let him who is without, stone, who is without sin cast the first stone. And that really apparently shut down their challenge to Jesus. They started perhaps to reflect upon their own sinfulness in their lives. And so one by one, they just left. Now, Jesus did not excuse the woman's sin, but ultimately it was just she and he standing there together. He asked, where are your accusers? She said, there are none. And he says, neither do I you know, condemn you. Go and sin no more. So that was his ultimate message to her. Yes, you were caught in sin. You were engaged in sin. And you have been 
basically forgiven at this point because Jesus had the authority to forgive sins. And so go and sin no more. Do not take part in sinful activities anymore. And then he goes on beginning with verse 13 and he defends himself as the Messiah, the Savior, the, the, the one who came in fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Savior or Messiah and being God the Son, the Son of God, God the Son. And so he goes into some discourse there defending himself because, again, the Jewish authorities, for the most part, rejected him, and most of the Jewish people rejected him. Even though he was performing all of these signs and wonders and so on, they were still rejecting him. Well, we pick up with verse 31. And so Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, now these are the Jews who believed in him, many followed him. But when you think about the vast, vast, vast majority of the Jewish people, they did not accept Jesus as the Savior. They did not believe he was the Messiah come to earth. They did not accept that even though they were seeing the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he was continually performing during his ministry upon this earth for those three, three to three and a half years, they, they just discounted all of that. They accused him of being of the devil and so on, casting out, casting out demons by Beelzebub, which Jesus, you know, turned right back on them and said, that makes no sense, whatever. Why would a, why would a, a, you know, a demon or a, an agent of the devil cast out demons? <laughs> he, he would be promoting such. And so, but anyway, they, they just, so much of the time they were illogical in their rejection of Jesus, but it was it, kind of a human thing, I guess. And Jesus ultimately was not the kind of savior they were looking for. They were looking for a, a military, charismatic leader who is going to restore all of the glory to physical Israel and give them back their land in full independence and kick out the Roman army. Well, that's not the kind of savior God sent into this world through Jesus. So verse 31, chapter 8, then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, those two verses, they really communicate a central principle to being right with God through Jesus Christ. First, what does he say? If you abide in my word. Now, what does that word abide mean? To live in my word, to live by my word, by his teachings, communicated to us through God's word, the scriptures, the Bible. If you abide in my word, if you continue to live by my teachings, the sense is then you truly are my disciples. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. What is it that we need to be set free from through knowing the truth? We need to be set free from the guilt and condemnation of our sins. Verse 13 of Galatians chapter 5, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. If you want to really get into a fairly lengthy and detailed discourse, uh, discourse on, on our having been set free from the guilt and condemnation of our sins, 
read the entire sixth chapter of Romans, Paul's Romans letter. It really goes in just some tremendous teaching there about how through Christ, as we come to salvation in him, we are forgiven of of our sins. We are set free. And, And you even see the imagery there that Paul uses in that sixth chapter of Romans, having been slaves of sin and then set free from that slavery to sin. Tremendous chapter, tremendous chapter. So Jesus says, if you abide in my word, if you continue to live by my teachings, then you truly are my disciples, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. The apostle Peter, he goes into this particular principle, maybe in a little bit different detail. And we want to go back to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1, and look at verses 22 and 23. And here Peter wrote along this line, and he's writing this to Christians, those who have come to God through Jesus Christ. He says, since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. Now, in two different kinds of wording there, Peter emphasizes what Jesus emphasized back in John chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Peter says you've purified your souls in obeying the truth, the truth being God's word. John 17, 17, Jesus, on the night of his betrayal, prayed to the Father. He said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And then Peter uses a different wording, referring to exactly the same thing in verse 23 of of 1 Peter chapter 1, when he says, having been born again through the word of God, through the word of God. We need to know God's word. We keep emphasizing through these podcasts that faith comes by hearing the word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. There is no substitute for being in God's word. We need that to first develop our faith and then to grow stronger and to stay strong in our faith. Well, we come back to John chapter 8. Let's move on to verse 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will be made free? Now, here's a problem that Jesus had with a lot of people in his ministry, teaching them spiritual things because they kept thinking in physical, <laughs> in, in physical ways of reference. So he says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. And they're thinking, well, we're not, we're not slaves to anybody. You know, we've, we've never been in bondage to anyone. What do you mean you will be made free? Then Jesus answered them, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, a slave of sin. And that's the worst form of slavery that mankind can experience, being a slave of sin. Have you ever seen people 
who were caught up in some particular kind of sinful activity, and maybe it was lying, maybe it was gossiping, maybe they were really caught up in in sexual immorality in one form or maybe several different forms or another, and, and they just seemed like they could not give that up. They were slaves of sin. Or maybe there are some people you've heard, and it seemed like they hardly could not say a sentence or two without lacing it with some kind of vulgar, profane, cursing kind of language. And they just, it just seemed to be natural to them. Or maybe some people, they were just violent. They just you know, continually resorted to violence. Well, the, the list could go on and on, but just sinfulness in general. And so Jesus is trying to teach, teach them, if you're caught up in sin, if you're caught up in sin, if you're living a sinful lifestyle, you're a slave of sin. And then he goes on in verse 35 and says, and a slave does not abide in the, in, in, in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So now is it, is it possible that a faithful, dedicated, truly strong in the faith Christian could commit sins here and there? Absolutely. There's no question about it. We do. We make mistakes. But we try to recognize the fact, I, that was wrong. I should not have done that. And so we repent and we, we come to God in prayer through Jesus and ask for his forgiveness and his strength and his guidance so that we won't do that again and that we will not continue to just take sin into our lives and it becomes a part of our nature. So he says in verse, in, 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 in verse uh, 34, most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So if we want to stay right with God, we have to turn away from sin. James put it this way, and I think it's, I think it's, it, it's really direct and understandable. In James chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, first James said, submit to God. We have to come to a point where we have surrendered our lives to God. Paul said in, in, in Galatians 2 and verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God. And, and so James says, submit to God. We have to make up our minds. I'm going to follow God. I'm going to give my life to God through Jesus. And then James goes on and says, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We've emphasized many times in our studies together. There is no room in the life of a person who is living a godly life for the devil to be there in his life. So James says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And then he goes on in the next verse, and he says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. If you want God to walk with you in your life, if you want God to walk, watch over you in your life, if you want God to sustain you from a spiritual perspective and even from a physical perspective, you need to walk with God. And so James says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. 
And then he goes on and says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. You cannot live a life of compromise wherein you're living a sinful lifestyle, because that's following the devil, and trying at the same time to live a godly lifestyle because you want to say, I'm following God. No, that doesn't work. You have to make up your mind. You have to make the full commitment. So we come back to John chapter 8, and we move on. And so he says in verse 34, most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. So if you want to be in heaven for eternity, you must make up your mind, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to live a godly life. I'm not going to live a life that is characterized by continued sinfulness. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. Verse 37, I know that you are Abraham's descendants. Now, he's he's speaking, he's responding to what these believers who were Jews, they they were believing in him, you know, they, and he said, the truth shall set you free. And they said, hey, we're, we're Abraham's descendants. We've never been in bondage to anyone. And so he's still trying to get across the spiritual message to them. I'm not talking about physical bondage. I'm talking about spiritual bondage. Bondage, slavery to sin. And so he, he says in verse 39, uh, if, or rather verse 37 again, I know that you're Abraham's descendants, but you seek to kill me because my word has no place in you. Now, these were believers in him, but he's probably talking about the Jews from the broader perspective here, and he knew that that the Jewish leadership in particular, they were after him. They wanted to silence him by putting him to death. So he goes on in verse 38, he says, I speak what I have seen with my father, and and you do what you have seen with your father. They answered and said to him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth, which I heard from God. Abraham did not do this. God is my father, Jesus is saying. I'm telling you the things that God, my father, sent me to tell you. Verse 41, you do the deeds of your father. They said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. If you're truly following God's teachings and and you were abiding by and recognizing the fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies of the coming Savior that I have been fulfilling in, in front of your very eyes, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. But because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? 
Isn't that the way it is with a lot of people? They believe a lie, but they refuse to believe the truth that someone tries to get across to them. And particularly when, when somebody is trying to teach them the truth of God's word, but they believe something else and they refuse to listen to the truth of God's word, refuse to believe it, even though it is right there in front of their eyes. In verse 47, Jesus goes on and says, he who is of God hears God's words. If you're truly following God, you're going to follow his teachings. You're going to believe those teachings. You're going to put them into practice in your life. Therefore, you do not hear because you are not of God. Again, we've got to make up our minds. Whom, with whom are we going to walk? In whom is our life going to be centered from a spiritual perspective? It's either going to be God or the devil, one or the other. Now, some people would say, well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. Then your, your life is centered in the devil. Because you see, there is no way to God except through Jesus. John chapter 14 and verse 6, Jesus said that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Let's go ahead and finish this particular chapter, beginning with verse 48. Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not rightly, do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? <laughs> Jesus was not a Samaritan. He had no demon, but again, they kept throwing these charges at him. And, and if you cannot refute somebody on the basis of logical reasoning from the truth, then a whole lot of people resort to name-calling and intimidation and even violence to shut the person up. Jesus simply kept throwing Scripture at them, kept, showing, kept, throwing, kept throwing the truth of God's Word at them. And, but if it's not what you want to hear, then you've got to do something to try to counter it. But if you don't want to hear the truth, whatever it is that you're trying to use to counter that truth, that in itself is illogical and ungodly. So the Jews answered and said to him, do we not rightly say that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor, you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Then the Jews said to him, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. See again, Jesus is speaking from a spiritual perspective. They keep listening and interpreting from a physical perspective. He's not talking about physical life that will go on and on and on forever. He's talking about spiritual life, eternal life in heaven. In verse 52 again, now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead and the prophets. And you say, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead? And the prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. All right, you say you're following God. A whole lot of people say that today, but they're living in sin. 
they're rejecting, or at least not believing and following and living by his word properly, effectively, correctly. So if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, on whom you say that he is your God, or of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Now Jesus is saying, Abraham, he saw my day, and he was glad. Then the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you, you have seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And there is a short phrase that identifies the name of God. And that goes back to Exodus, the early chapters in Exodus, when God was instructing Moses to go to Pharaoh and bring his message to Pharaoh to let the the people of Israel go to worship God in the wilderness, to lead them out of bondage. And one of the questions Moses had for God was, well, if I'm going back, if I'm going back to my people, the Israelites, who will I say sent me? And God said, tell them I am sent you. I am sent you. And so Jesus identifies himself directly with God when he says, I say to you before Abraham was, I am. He did not say, I was. He said, I am. What a statement of identity. God the Son. In verse 59, the last verse in the eighth chapter, then they took up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. It's interesting. Went through the midst of them. How did he hide himself? Open to speculation. But he went through the midst of them. They were ready to kill him right there. But he went through the midst of them and got away. Did he perhaps... Re, re, you know, resort back to his spiritual form and they could not see him? Well, again, we're just left to speculate, but it was not his time, and that was not in the way that God had designed for him to be executed. That execution would be on the cross. We'll pick up with chapter 9 next time. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for loving us so much. Father, so many people have closed their eyes to your Son as being our Savior, sent from you. Help us, Father. Help us today, going through this study, but help people everywhere to open their eyes and see that Jesus is the Savior, the only Savior. And help them, Father, to come to him 
for forgiveness and salvation. Being baptized for the remission of their sins. Please, Father, be merciful with us. And please, we pray, forgive us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.